Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, Wizz Air's CEO makes a comment that doesn't go down well. I'll fill you in on the details, while Tom reveals why I was covering for him earlier this week. Joe will talk us through the chaos that was the UK's first deportation flight to Rwanda, while I find another reason to speak about the Airbus A380. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, Finally, I wish a very happy 40th birthday to a rather special airplane. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And Joe, please give us some sort of aerospace news before I start (laughs) ranting on about the A380 as usual. Absolutely. Well, uh, it is a bit of aviation gossip, I have to say, uh, because it's not really about planes, but it is about executives. And uh, I do love it when an aviation executive messes up (laughs) because it doesn't have cause of furore. Anyway, um, what happened was um, the Wizz Air CEO, Joseph Ferradi, um, has come under fire for some comments he made regarding employee fatigue rates. Um, So he suggested, or he seemed to suggest, that fatigued crews should just go the extra mile rather than reporting the fact that they're tired. Um, So I'm going to read the words that he said. This was an internal video that was shared around the Wizz Air crew, um, but obviously made its way into the media. So what he said was, now that everyone is getting back into work, I understand that fatigue is a potential outcome of these issues. But once we have started stabilising the rosters, we also need to take down the fatigue rate. We cannot run this business when every fifth person of a base reports sickness because he's fatigued. We're all fatigued, but sometimes it is required to go the extra mile. The damage is huge when we cancel a flight. It's reputational damage to the brand and it's also financial transactional damage because we have to pay compensation for that. Now, as you can imagine, looking at those comments possibly slightly out of context, that's not a great look for an airline CEO. Um, So, as you can imagine, several pilots' unions, including the European Cockpit Association, ECA, publicly criticised Mr. Varadi for suggesting that people should continue to fly when they're tired. Um, And in fact, the ECA wrote to the European Aviation Safety Regulator, EASA, over concerns of an inadequate corporate culture. Um, EASA confirmed that they'd received the letter and that they would be investigating. They said, EASA recognises that fatigue can be a serious safety hazard and needs to be identified and properly mitigated. We are currently investigating the allegations to determine whether and what further ad hoc oversight actions are necessary. Um, Now, as I'm sure everyone's aware, fatigue is quite an important safety issue in aviation. Um, There was a crash of a Colgan air flight back in 2009, and that was partially attributed to pilot fatigue. So following that incident, there were a load of rule changes around 2014 um, that stipulate how much rest people need between flying and particularly for pilots. So, um, for example, one of these uh, mandates, 10 hours of rest between shifts with eight hours of this time comprised of uninterrupted sleep. So, you know, not in training sessions or debriefs or whatever. Um, And it's also mandatory for pilots to have at least 30 consecutive hours of rest per week. Um, which was up 25% compared to what it was before the changes. Um, So we do take care of our aviators and make sure they are not overtired because that is when silly mistakes can happen. Hmm. Um, I seem to remember just a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there an ITER pilot who 
um, was found to be asleep at the wheel. Yes, <laughs> there have been a few uh, a few incidents, and I think particularly recently with the the industry so overworked as it is, um, you know, it's it's risking overworking people and risking people flying tired. But all all airlines must abide by these regulations saying that people need these rest periods, and I think they'll be in an awful lot of trouble if they're found not to be. Um, you know, I kind of feel a little bit for Mr. Varadi because I feel like his comments really weren't meant to be quite like that. Um, Wiz has said that they were completely taken out of context and were not explicitly addressed to pilots. But you would think, you know, a ground handler reporting fatigue, they'd just be like, well, get on with your job. We don't care. Um, (laughs) So, you know, you've got to wonder what was at the back of his mind when he was making those comments. Um, Anyway, I'm sure the investigation will be ongoing and whatever EASA decides um, will eventually come out in the wash. Um, But yes, airline CEOs, please be careful what you say. (laughs) Yeah. Always. Um, Well, I wanted to talk about something a bit fun because, you know, like COVID is kind of dying down now. Hopefully. We hope. Um, And that meant that I managed to go to an event that I've been trying to go for two years now, (laughs) um, which is the Aircraft Interior Expo in Hamburg. And, you know, I had quite a fun time. You know, there was um, a lot of interesting conversation, interesting ideas. And of course, just hanging out with other journalists is one of mm. the things that I love to do. Um, so I wanted to talk about a couple of few things that I saw at AIX while Joe was covering for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, like honestly, hundreds of stands at the show, so you can't see everything. Um, one thing that I did see that I found quite interesting was that um, Finnair's um, A330 business class was there. Um, this is like the new one that doesn't recline and... Um, mm that was on the Airbus stand. They had the 350 on the Collins stand, but I didn't get around to seeing that, um, unfortunately. But I believe the 330 uh, seat is slightly different. It's got a slightly different angle to make up for the um, narrower body. Mm. Um, but anyway, you know, I got did to sit on it. Did you try it out? I did, I did. I tried <laughs> it out. And, you know, because this is the thing, you know, I was looking at this thinking, I don't see how this can be comfortable if it doesn't recline. Mm. Um, and, you know, I got to sit in it as a chair and they also put it up into the bed thing. And, Actually, you know, I I quite enjoyed it. I would be happy sitting on that either for a hop to London to fin- uh, Finland or for a transcontinental flight. Um, How you know, difficult is it to to kind of arrange because the cushions are all loose, right? And you just rearrange them to change it from a bed to a no. So seat there's bed. you've yeah. got this hole in the middle, okay. and you've got to pull a lever, and then a little bit from under where your feet will goes pops out. Oh. And there is one button um, that kind of fills in the rest of it. I can't. I didn't actually see how it did that, or I may saw it and didn't think about thinking, remembering <laughs> what it looked like. But um, it, it's really simple. You don't have to um, do too much at all. Apparently, um, it saves a load of weight because there's none of this yeah, mechanical exactly. gubbins this was, underneath the seat. This was because obviously sustainability is like such a big topic now. They kept coming back to this time and time mm. again of the weight being reduced, and um, it's quite cool as well. It's also got two seat belts, um, which I found interesting. So it's got the three-point harness for takeoff and landing, mm. um, but there's also a separate seat that just kind of goes across your waist while you're sleeping. Oh, that's um, good because you so, normally have to do that with the the same lap belt that's part of the three-point harness and it's not very comfortable because it kind of rides up it wants to be up around your shoulders not around your waist and because i saw this like um seat belt it's more like a car seat belt than a um 
a traditional airline seatbelt with the flap. Mm -hmm. um, but I just saw this random plug-in point and I was like, well, this doesn't reach there. What, what's that for? And um, it was great because the people there were showing me, well, actually, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I would, um, I really like that. Um, another That's thing really I saw, cool. um, we went to Recaro, Recaro, who's known for making aircraft seats. Um, mm -hmm. And car seats, I have car to say. Seats. Yeah, also I saw like um, they make prams and stuff. They had some of that on offer, but I don't think that's really what you're Ooh. buying if you're going to an aircraft trade show. <laughs> um, one idea they had was for a sort of plug-in tray table. So, um, you know, rather than being built into the seat and folding out, it's there's just a hole in the seat that you put your tray table into and it's there. Um, and it, it kind of makes sense because, you know, you can have um, different designs for it. You know, you can have one that just holds cups, which is what they showed. You could have like a full-size tray or you could even have like a phone holder. Okay. Um, and I thought this was quite interesting because, you know, they said um, it should save 500 grams over the traditional fold-out table, oh. um, which is obviously great. But then also... 500 you... grams per seat? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, it's great because as well, you know, like if you're on a flight, say um, if you're on a flight where everyone gets catering, then of course everyone uses their tray tables. But if you're on a sort of like low cost flight from like say Norwegian, for example, mm. um, not, not you walk down there, you're not going to see everyone using their tray table on a flight. So you could even save probably more weight by just loading what you think you need. Yeah, um, true. You don't have to bring every tray for every person, do you? Exactly. And they also made the point of it's easier to clean because right now if this cleaning crew on the flight wants to clean the tray tables, they've got to unlatch each one, clean it, and then latch it back up. Right? Mm, I bet they don't bother most of the time. Yeah, they just exactly. wipe it over and off we go. Exactly. But um, with these, I reckon, you, you well, you could just um, like take them off the plane, put them in a dishwasher, bring them back. Um, yeah, great. So that was cool. Mm, um, interesting. I also bumped into a company called Elever, which I wanted to speak about because they were so nice to me. Um, <laughs> I keep seeing these guys around and I don't really understand the product. So I'm excited to hear what you've got to say. Yeah, so it's interesting because um, they take basically um, waste lever and offcuts of lever and they kind of make it down into a pulp um like they 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 refine it all into like into a pulp and then they they kind of lay it over um like a paper um and it kind of binds together again mm, okay. um and then after that they can like apply coatings and stuff so it, it's it's basically um making sure that rather than going in the bin that sort of offcuts of lever actually are used for something useful um, it's really interesting because they say they've uh, ref um, recycled close to 8,000 tons of leather since 2011. Wow. Um, and it's, I, I was reading and it says using e-leather in aircraft upholstery reduced its, uh, results in reduced fuel burn for airlines. Why? Um, I, I guess because it's um, perhaps slightly lighter. Oh, okay. Um, also, uh, I need to d do some more digging into the, the whole <laughs> thing. So I will yeah. I will do a story on on this um, coming up. so uh, Watch out on simple flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I found it, uh, obviously sustainability is a big thing. Um, so watch this space. Um, it's good to more. see uh, recycled products on board though. I yeah. think that's great. Sorry, exactly. carry on. Um, Tell me about more, the next thing. <laughs> two more I wanted to speak about quickly. Um, I wanted to talk about, I, I also chat, um, sat down with a company called Pexco aerospace and they've made this product called the air shield and we've covered it a couple of times on simple flying but you know i actually got to see it in person and like feel it um how it feels um when when it's 
it's running and um, I also got to wear a VR headset to see how it should look in a cabin and uh, subsequently managed to smack somebody in the face because they weren't in front of me in this virtual cabin, but that's okay. It was all okay. Um, but yeah, that's um, they've basically got this idea that just clips onto where the air normally comes out um, of the ceiling anyway, and it, it directs the airflow in such a way that it's not invasive to a passenger they don't feel it really intently um but it means that the air goes through the the cabin in such a way that it's directed like when you breathe out usually on a cabin um they showed some animations and the air just kind of goes everywhere um but with this um it's kind of pushed down towards where the air is being sucked out of the cabin towards the HEPA filters. Yeah. Um, I should have just said that. It was so much simpler than all of this building that I did for that bit. Um, I understand what you mean. It sounds yeah. good. Um, last bit I want to talk about for now is um, I also met the lovely people at Panasonic and um, they've released a new IFE screen based on OLED technology. And, you know, like I... I saw the press release and actually I was like, oh, new screen, great. Um, mm. But I did, I, they managed to convince me to go over and have a look at it. And I'm so glad they did because this thing, it, re it really is amazing. You know, it's incredibly mm. slim. They said it's actually thicker than it needs to be because uh, they wanted to put standard mounting points on the back of it. Okay. <laughs> um, so they could actually make it thinner. But um, Wow. Keeping on this sort of sustainability topic, the thing that I found most interesting was that right now it's built with um, USB-C and Bluetooth 5 capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and I was chatting with um, somebody there who suggested that actually uh, it was um, Andy Masson, the vice president of product and portfolio development, was showing it to me. And he suggested that actually, uh, you know, like in... 10 years or so, you know, we might have USB, C, uh, D, E or F or whatever, mm. um, and like Bluetooth 7 or 8, who knows. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like with this, the model that's currently in place for in-flight entertainment screens, um, and the whole unit would have to be replaced. Oh, right. Um, but rather with this one, the, you can just unplug the bottom bar, which has all of the sort of connectivity um this mm. of the screen um, and just plug in the new unit that has the upgraded um, bits here and there, which I thought was um, really good from That's a sustainability smart. point. Um, Future-proofed, I think we call yeah. that. <laughs> the other thing as well I thought was really interesting is that these USB-C um, sockets, they have enough power to charge a MacBook. Wow. Um, they were saying, I, don't quote me on the numbers, but I think they'd, they were going to launch it with uh, 60 watts or so. Uh, which is um, what the MacBook needs. And then Apple last week released a new Mac that has just oh. a little bit more. Um, <laughs> so they, But they had the capacity to um, be able to do that, um, which was um, um, really uh, like they, they'd already built the capacity in, so it just went blam uh, straight away. Um, and I could keep talking about this all day, but the other thing I wanted to say was actually just the last thing I wanted to say before you can talk about planes again um, <laughs> was that he said, you know, like if you've got three, three in a row, um, the system is smart enough to see that two uh, of the screens are only powering, you know, phones. Uh, one of the screens is powering a laptop, so it could actually divert power to this screen that's... Um, doing the laptop to even increase it up to, I think it was 100 watts of power. So mm, That's um, very clever. I like yeah. that. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I mean, um, just keep an eye on um, Simple Flying because I will, I will be covering a lot, but there's a lot to cover and I can't write 
like 10 stories in a day. So <laughs> <laughs> Why not, Tom? Because you want me to do other things. Well, speaking of other things, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the UK's plan to deport um, illegal immigrants or refugees um, to Rwanda for processing. So these people have been through a lot. You know, they've, a lot of them have come across the channel in uh, very dangerous conditions. And now we're sending them about 4,000 miles away um, to find a home somewhere completely different. Politics aside, um, the plan to fly these guys out has come to have quite an aviation angle to it. So that's that's the direction I'm coming from. I'm not trying to be political on whether this uh, move is right or not. Um, so the plan to fly them out, we saw a lot of public figures in the UK who actually contacted the airlines potentially going to be flying these refugees um, to try and persuade them not to operate the flights. So I mean, um, we got one of them, I think, saying that we shouldn't be supporting this. Um, we shouldn't be booking charter flights with this airline. <laughs> and I was like, we don't book charter flights with any airline. No, it'd be nice if we did, but we do not. Um, so the the sort of airlines that normally or in the past have operated these sorts of flights um, include Titan Airways. Um, they're the guys that operate the nice UK liveried um, A330 for the government. Um, Iberojet, Privileged Style, Air Tanker. Um, actually, two of these airlines came out very quickly and said they would not be involved in the plan. That was Air Tanker and Titan Airways. Um, but Iberojet didn't say anything. Nevertheless, everybody soon deduced it was privileged style that would be operating the flight. Now, this is a Spanish airline and they only kind of do charter work. They don't do any scheduled services as far as I know. Um, they've got a fleet of kind of various aircraft, um, including a 757, 767 and A321 as well. Um and there was a massive, massive online campaign. Twitter was going crazy on Monday uh, with people writing to the airline, telling them to boycott the flight. Um, Privileged Style, instead of responding, actually closed all their social media accounts so they just didn't have to deal with it. Um, I mean, I think that's the ostrich reaction. Um, but then it kind of started filtering through to the customers that it works with as well. So um, Privileged Style tends to fly a couple of Spanish football teams um, and they do quite a lot of work for TUI um, here in the UK as well, flying some of its leisure routes. Um, so all those guys started getting a lot of hate mail as well. Nevertheless, it did not deter Privileged Style from operating the flight because on Tuesday morning, um, it's Boeing 767, its largest aircraft, landed at Boscombe Down in preparation for the flight. Um, the plane is registered ECLZO and normally it seats up to 246 in economy as well as 18 in business for a total of 264 passengers. Um, it's nearly 30 years old and was previously operated by Lot Polish from 1995, um, but it's been with these guys in Spain since 2013. So when the the flight was planned. Um, over 120 people were notified of removal, um, but very quickly began lodging appeals um, to remain in the UK. And actually, by the time the plane landed, all but 10 had been granted a stay. So this enormous great 767 rocked up in the UK to carry 10 people to Rwanda. But then it got worse <laughs> because three more people were removed from the flight before the end of the business day, um, thanks to their appeals going through. So we were looking at seven people on this 767. Um, and according to media reports, the flight was going to cost the UK taxpayer around half a million pounds or $600,000. If you break that down by passenger, that's over $80,000 per person. I mean, that's, you know, one expensive flight, right? <laughs> 
And then on top of this, there'd be a further, I think, about $13,000 spent in Rwanda actually processing the pe people. Um, but then, at the very last moment, the flight was cancelled entirely. So the European Court of Human Rights stepped in and halted the departure of one of the people due to be on board the flight. Um, and their appeal came through around half past seven uh, UK time last night. And because of this success, it kind of triggered a series of legal challenges to the flight. And by 22, um, 22.15, sorry, my 24-hour clock brain, um, but just after 10 p.m., <laughs> shall we say in normal speak, um, everybody had been removed from the plane. Uh, nobody was allowed to leave. So the Boeing 767 flew back to Madrid, landing at just after two o'clock in the morning. Um, the flight was cancelled. No doubt the UK government have paid for it anyway, or should I say I have paid for it anyway. Um, but the Home Secretary, Secretary Priti Patel said she was disappointed in the outcome, but that the planning for the next deportation flight would begin immediately. I would suggest to her finding a plane that's more suited to the size of the passenger load on board next time. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's I don't my really. Story. I don't really have anything to say on it. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I haven't really followed the story at all because I've been out of the office this you week. You were too um, busy. I know. I've been following so. it hungrily because uh, it was just everything that was going on Twitter for the last two days, and uh, mm. you know, bit of an achievement for the protesters that it didn't go ahead. But I think mm. uh, I think they're obsessed enough to keep pressing on with the same plan. Mm. Anyway, please tell me about the A380, Tom, because I haven't heard anything about the A380 for at least a week. I know. Well, I can't disappoint um, the listeners of Tom's A380 podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, my interesting A380 fact this week is that they are, or Korean Air is hiring. Um, the, air um, the airline has um, posted a job listing through Rishworth Aviation, um, and it's basically looking to hire pilots on a five-year renewable contract, which... I think it's um, quite interesting because, you know, you wouldn't hire people on a five-year contract if you thought you were going to get rid of the plane in two years, if you know what I mean. Uh, that's what I'd think. You know, maybe they do. Um, don't don't quote me on that. <laughs> but, um, you know, I thought it was quite interesting because the, the role is um, fairly tailored. Um, you know, they're looking for people who already have the experience to fly the thing. So um, it looks like the sort of role is more tailored at people who say may have flown the A380 for Air France and are no longer flying it because Air France has retired the the aircraft rather than um, airlines who are looking to to sort of or captains, pilots, whatever that are looking to to sort of branch into the A380, if that makes sense. And the reason is because of two interesting points. So firstly, it suggests that um, the A380 captains are being hired on worldwide commuting contracts. So um, my reading of that is like you could live in Paris and um, fly to Korea to do your job and then fly back. Um, they're looking for applicants who already have a thousand flight uh, hours as pilot and command on an A380. And really, you're only going to have that if you've flown the A380 for an airline before. Because um, there's not many A380s just knocking around to build time on, um, and obviously you need an A380 type rating. Um, so it's, it's, it's why I kind of thought that's that's who the target market for this job listing was. Um, but you know, um, it's, it's it's an exciting time for Korean Air's A380s because they haven't like throughout most of the pandemic they've been flying it, but that's really putting it politely you know they've not really been flying it they've been operating like one flight a week just to keep the thing in the air um there is a sort of more bigger 
return coming on um, July 1st. It's going to resume daily flights to JFK, uh, which is going to be exciting for our friend Vincenzo. Vincenzo. Mm. Uh, I said that really wrong. Um, <laughs> sorry, Vince. Um, who, Trying to do your European yeah, thing yeah. there. <laughs> um, who's going to be able to take lovely pictures for us. Um, but it's also actually going to be going back to Hong Kong, which I thought was an interesting destination because it's um, got like a sort of uh, three times a week schedule to Hong Kong, which as we know, is not sort of the center of aviation right now and seems a bit of an interesting destination to put such a large aircraft on. Um, it's quite interesting, though, because looking at the, the timing, they would, they'd need a minimum of two aircraft because the flight from JFK gets back after the, the next flight to JFK leaves. Um, but it does look like the aircraft will be able to fly to Hong Kong and back in the time between when it arrives back from uh, JFK and when it needs to leave the, the next day. Um, if that make, Does that make sense? That's, yes, I think I, so. I have this way of like over-explaining things, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that, that's my uh, wonderful A380 tidbit of the week. And Thank I believe you, that means that you're now going to tell me about another cool plane. I am going to tell you about a very cool plane. Um, probably you won't think it's as cool as the A380, but to be frank, we've heard quite enough about that um, on recent podcasts. I mean, it looked quite podcasts. cool when we saw it. <laughs> so um, I wanted to close today's mm. podcast by wishing a very happy birthday to an unusual and very special plane. Um, it's a Boeing 757. Are we no, no, not today, Tom. Thank you. Um, for most Boeing 757s, getting to the age of 40 is nothing to celebrate, I would say, because most of them are either already retired or they are very rapidly approaching yeah. retirement. I don't think any of them would get that age, surely. No, exactly. Um, but just like me, this is an airplane that only gets better with age um, because it is the Honeywell 757-200 flying test bed, which is turning 40 this week. Happy birthday, 757. Um, it rolled off the production line in June 1982 um, and it's celebrating its fourth decade in service. Um, I don't think it's having a cake, um, but we did get a statement from Captain Joe Duval, who is the Director of Flight Test Operations for Honeywell um, and who I met in Dubai uh, last year. And he said that for the past 17 years, they've made so many technological modifications to the 757. The only thing that's actually turning 40 years old is probably the fuselage itself. Um, he I mean, says can that you it's still call it a 757? <laughs> <laughs> it is. I mean, it looks like one. It's just, um, yeah, a very modified 757. Um, he said so that it's been a dependable workhorse that allows them to test a whole slew of technologies, including, of course, the engines that Honeywell produces for business jets and smaller aircraft. Um, over the time it's been in service, this 757 has travelled to more than 30 countries across five continents. Um, in fact, Honeywell reckon it have been to more parts of the planet than any other 757 in service. Um, it's had over 800 flight tests and clocked up more than 3,000 flight test hours. Um, so it's very cool. I like it a lot. I got to ride in it actually at Dubai last year, which was really exciting. Um, one of the things that most people notice about this plane is the strange kind of protruding shape on its right-hand side. Uh, so if you've ever wondered what that is, it's actually a pylon that allows Honeywell to attach an engine in order to test the power plants in kind of real-world conditions and gather lots of important data to aid with their development. But, you know, that's not all it does. It tests various weather technology, radars. When I was on it, we were testing out um, a, something called Jetwave MCX, which is a, an in-flight connectivity bit of technology that can 
can seamlessly switch between different types of bands. For Yeah, um, I know we were FaceTiming you from breakfast. That's right. I was FaceTiming you on the plane while we were flying over the Gulf of Dubai. Um, mm. So that was very exciting. Um, but yes, yeah, so we wish it a very happy birthday. Mm. Um, it did have a passenger life. It was in service with the original Eastern Airlines, not the one that's around today. Mm. Um, and it also flew with a company called My Travel Airways in the UK um, in the mid-90s. So it's had a very long life. Um, does it getting to 40 years of age mean that it's going to be retired soon? Um, I don't think so. And in fact, Honeywell told me we have no plans to retire the 757 test aircraft and will continue to push the technological boundaries in the aviation industry, thus enabling a safer and more comfortable flight for, ex for airline passengers. Hmm. So uh, happy birthday to the 757 yeah, and here's to many more years to come. Hopefully. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, I think we've talked quite enough today. Um, we hope you enjoyed our podcast and we do welcome your feedback as always at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.